Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. You know, life is uncertain. And, and I look around the congregation today, uh, and I see that a lot of people are out. We're like in half or more today. Where everybody is, I can't tell you. Where some of them are, I do know. Uh, but I have found that I don't worry about how many are here. I never thought the day would come when I would preach to one person. And I've done that before. Uh, with COVID, at times, it was just me and John DeLille. <laughs> and, so, and on occasion, uh, there were times that my family was here as well, uh, since we all kind of live you know, in the same vicinity. Uh, but nevertheless, I never thought that day would be in my future. But, it, but now it's in my past, and I want to keep it there. Because I want to continue to do church. I want to fellowship together. And I believe that the enemy wants to keep us from doing that. And if you think he won't use COVID and anything else to do that, I assure you that he will. And so, first of all, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you, those of you here are worshiping with us online. Uh, maybe even our California counterparts are with us. I'm not sure. I think so. Uh, thank you, our Mecca campus, for joining us today. Hope everything is well with everybody. Uh, and isn't God good? Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Well, how good is he? <laughs> no, how good is he? I know he's good all the time. How good is he? Pretty darn, right? And aren't you glad that God has found you and offered you not only salvation, but his fellowship and the instructions that he gives us on how to be his people? Pretty important. I want to speak with you this morning about the work of the church. And you know, friends, I've entitled this message, What is the Work of the Church Really? What is it really? You see, I'm not sure that we, as a church universal, the Catholic church, small c, which means universal, I wonder if the church universal all around the world knows what the work of the church really is supposed to be. Now, we do a lot of good things. I'm not saying we don't. In fact, I think the church has been a catalyst for many people coming to Christ and the changes that are necessary in life and help them in so many ways. And the church does an awful lot of things that helps people. For instance, you know, our food pantry that's going to happen tomorrow night. I mean, isn't that the work of the church? Isn't that a good thing? That's not the only thing, though. There's a lot of things that the church ought to be doing. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I want to share with you some things that Jesus has to say. And if, if you look at chapter 16, you'll notice in verse 5, and that's, this is not what the message is based upon, but it goes back to it. In verse 5, he says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. And Jesus, not worrying about the bread at all, because the disciples are worried about eating, right? And Jesus here again, like he did when he was tempted of Satan in the wilderness, again alludes to the fact that eating and filling your belly is not nearly as important as spiritual things. And he says to them, be careful and be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But the disciples here couldn't see anything other than that they forgot to bring bread. You see that? And, he, and so they discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus is like, are you stinking kidding me? Now, he doesn't say that per se, and it's not in the scripture. But I like to believe, and I can insert here because I, I can think what I want. Okay, And I think Jesus probably said, are you stinking kidding me? But see, we don't get those parts of the scripture. We don't get those parts of his thoughts sometimes. We get the nuts and bolts. 
So right after he said, are you kidding me to himself, this is what he says. Aware of their discussion, he says, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you really think that's really what's important? Is that really what you think I was saying? And then he says this, do you still not understand do you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Because clearly they hadn't. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Or I wasn't talking to you about filling your belly? I wasn't talking to you about what you don't have. I wasn't talking to you about a meal here. I was talking to you about something that was incredibly important. I was talking to you about something that you really ought to know because you're going to see this again. You need to be on your guard about some things. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees are two parts of the Sanhedrin, the Essenes being the other part that he doesn't mention. But the Sanhedrin was the ruling body of the church of the time. And basically, what Jesus is saying to them is this. What they're teaching, the leaders of the church are teaching wrong things. And be on your guard against it. Well, yikezoids. Isn't that what he said? Hello? Pastor to those of you in attendance. Did he not just not say, be careful because what they're teaching clearly isn't right. It's false. Now, th listen, if you, if you went to a church and the leadership, whether it's a pastor or a pastoral team or if it's a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is, and they're teaching things that you know are false, what would you think? What kind of church is this, right? Kind of make you wonder about the religion, wouldn't it? Am I, am I alone here today? No. It would make you worry about where their heart is, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. I, I, thank you, Becky. Somebody got it. It would make you wonder. Okay? And then in verse 12 it says, And then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast using the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the church leadership. And listen, we may not have Pharisees and Sadducees in the in the local church, in the modern church today. But we do have those who are leading it. And this is the living word of God, which means we need to be on guard against false teachers. And doesn't Paul, throughout all of his letters, tell us that over and over again? Okay. Listen to this now. Verse 13. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, why does he say that? It comes directly on the heels of him telling them that there are false teachers running the church. And he's going to tell you right here why he is the authority and sometimes church leaders are wrong. You understand that? So we got to base everything we do, church leaders and everybody else has to base what we do on him, not what we've always done, what church leaders say we ought to do, or what our traditions are, or any of those things. That's Pharisees and Sadducees. That's false teachers. That's people who want their own way in leadership in the church today. But a real leader of the real church puts all their eggs in a basket of Jesus Christ and leads and speaks and teaches from his standpoint and his alone. From the word of God in its entirety. For the whole word is his. Yes? Okay. And they replied, some say you are John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, <clears throat> Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asks? Who do you say that I am? And here's my question. Jesus is talking to you and me. Who do you say he is? Friends, who do you say Jesus is? Well, this side gets it. You guys. Who do you say he is? Okay. Who online? Those of you on, who do you say he is? Those at Mecca, those where, who do you say that he is? If you think he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior that came to save us, and the authority 
for the universe, then you'd better start listening to what he has to say and start doing church and being a church in the manner and way that he set it out to be. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not establish this church. Jesus did. He changed the church of that time into the church of this time. Amen? He did that. And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Apparently, just like here today, Simon was in the minority. He's the one that said, well, that's, I know who you are. Do you know, I think in the church today, that we have people that don't really know who Jesus is. They think they know, and they think Jesus was, you know, this. This, um, accept everybody and everything. No, no, no. That is not who he was. It's not who he is. Sure, we accept people, but not their sinfulness. We accept people, but not their false belief systems. We accept people, but not falsehoods that follow them. Amen? But today, we're being taught by Satan and everybody who believes in this garbage that the deal is that if you don't agree with people's opinions or let them have their opinions, even when they're false as it relates to the church or to Christianity, then you're a hater and you're wrong. And you don't accept them. Not true. I can accept a person and not agree with them. I can accept a person spiritually and not agree with their belief system. I can accept a person and want them in my fellowship and with me and with you and everybody else in the church, but not agree with the sinfulness in their life. And that's exactly what the Bible says we are to do. But that's completely against what this society says you have to do. I would rather follow Christ. Because to me, you know who he is? He's not only the son of God. He's my savior. And he's going to be the ruler of the kingdom that's coming, not this one. Amen? That's who he is. Jesus replied to Simon, just as like he's going to apply, reply to all of us who believe him. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, friends, this is huge because we need to, we need to really grasp what's being said here today. Because I think that the church is messed up today. And I'm not picking on other churches or other pastors. I'm simply saying that Satan is modifying what Christianity is intended to be. He's modifying what the church is and how it's being operated. He's modifying these things so that we are not in line with what God, the Christ, the Spirit, and all those that wrote this manuscript through the power of the Spirit, what they say it ought to be and what it's going to be. There's a problem. Do I think we're the only ones that do it right? No. And sometimes... I'm sure that we haven't done it right, like other churches haven't at times. But I'm not here to compare churches, you understand? I want to look at the church universal, what God says it is, what he demands that it be. And Jesus promised, friends, to build his church. He said it right there. I'm going to build my church. Now, notice he didn't promise to build churches. But we're building churches today, aren't we? There are such differences between individual churches within the church that I'm not sure we're on the same page at all. There's such a difference, and there shouldn't be. Now, I believe inevitably that there's going to be some differences based on certain theological differences that we can each make a case for. I get that. But that doesn't take away from the mission of the church and what it's supposed to be. Amen? Yes? Yes? Now, the church was purchased with the blood of Christ. Yes, I said it. It was purchased. It was bought. And I've decided, friends, that in order to get something, you have to pay for it. And when you don't have to pay for something, typically there's something wrong. Now, not always. 
for the church of God, sometimes give certain things away and people are shocked and stunned that we do it for nothing. But that doesn't happen very often anymore. Not in life, it doesn't. But here's the deal. In order to get something worth anything, you're probably going to have to pay for it. And it's been said that you pay for what you get and you get what you pay for. And I've been on the wrong end of that a time or two. Anybody? Okay. Now, remember, we as people, as humans, were already lost. And there are some people out there that think that infants aren't lost, that when they're born, they're not, they're not born into sin and they're, they're, they're sinless. That is false. Every one of us was born into sin, and every one of us had a sin problem. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Does the Word of God say that? Yes, it does. But in our humanness, we look at an, uh, an innocent child and think, well, they, 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 they couldn't. They haven't, they haven't been able to do anything yet. They just kind of lay there and sleep and eat. But the Word of God says otherwise. And in our humanness, we won't understand that. But God says it is. And so in our spirituality, we do understand it. Okay? So we're all lost. All, human, all humanity was already lost. And not only that, we're all consigned to eternal hell. There's no way around it. You were bound for hell, period. Hell bound. All of us. It was a done deal. And there's no way out unless a perfect sacrifice was available and willing to take our place. How many of you knew that? And for those of you who aren't raising your hand, I want to know why. Because I realize that maybe you're tired, and, I re and I'm not picking on you, and I can't even see who it is. But, but here's the deal. We, we need to know this so much that we, our hands got to be up all the time. We've got to know. We've got to tell people that this is fact. Now, how many of you know that this is true? Oh, a few more hands. You see the difference? You've got to be passionate about what you know as it relates to your Christianity about your destination and what saved you from the other one. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. I, I think everybody online's louder than you. I'm just guessing. Okay? But here's the thing. If this were to take place, which we know it did, it would be a huge purchase, wouldn't it? It would be a massive purchase. With the sacrifice, friends, being perfect and sinless throughout life, and Jesus was the only one. Well, how come... He was born, so how come he's the only one without sin? Because his pedigree was perfect. Yes, he was born of a woman who was born into sin and, and had a sinful part of her life in a sin nature. But his father is God, and that's where he got his pedigree. No sin. The only one. The only person ever born sinless. Amen? And the only one I know of that lived life sinless. Okay? So here's the question. How did he become the perfect sacrifice? First of all, being sinless, pedigree being from the Father, and then, friends, giving everything that he had. He gave up that life to come and be part of us and absolve us of not only our sinfulness, but our date with hell. Completely eradicated it if we'll choose it. Now, I begin to think about what he did. And I'm thinking, if I'm him, looking at, you know, what he purchased, giving up everything for humanity, I'm thinking, that's not a very good deal. Because I know who humanity is. And I know that you can, you know, it's almost like when you put out a bunch of money or a lot of effort into something that's a failure. That'll never work. Where you gave up your entire life savings and put it into a business and it fails. Or put it into an investment that crashes. You don't feel very good about that, do you? And the first thing you think of is, I should have never done that. And I wonder if Christ, in my humanness, I wonder if Christ has ever said, I should have never done that. Yet, when I read the word of God, I know he's never said that. Because to him, it was a great deal. It was, an, it, it was a perfect investment. It was the best purchase ever made. And I look at myself in the mirror and think, how could he think that? Does anybody ever wonder about that? Have you ever wondered why, looking at yourself, knowing who you are, it was such a good purchase? Because Lord knows none of us has constantly been about his business. None of us 
has lived life always the way we're supposed to. None of us has been perfect in every regard as it relates to our spirituality and our Christianity. Have we? And that makes me wonder if it was a good purchase. And he says it is. And I began to think about that a little bit more. Because he purchased a church and it still stands today just as he said it would. I, I, I think it's not in very good shape at times. But it's still standing. Why? Because he said it would. And you know who the church is? You and me. It's got, it's got nothing to do with the, 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 the smallest, most dilapidated building to the greatest Taj Mahal of a church that we have on the planet. It's got nothing to do with that. But that's how we see church. We see church based on the building and what it looks like and who's in it and how much money they have. And, you know, th that's, that's how we see church. That is not at all how he sees it. And the tiniest one that's fruitful for him is as or more important than the massive one that does very little for him. Do you understand that? How many of you know that today? It's truth. So we got to stop looking at what we don't have, what we aren't, as it relates to other churches, and start looking for what we are and what we have in him. That's what we have to do, because that's what makes a church anyway. So anybody who claims to be a Christian is a church that Jesus purchased. But we have to understand what he did and what we gained, because I'm not sure that we do. We have to understand what he did and what we gained. And when we do that, it ought to give us a moment of pause that Christ loved us so much that he was willing to do and desirous to do what he actually did. And so in this message, I want to emphasize that the church is of divine origin. Is of divine origin. It was not planned by humans. It wasn't planned or, or built on human wisdom. It wasn't brought into existence by human will. And it isn't ruled, nor can it be ruled, by human authority. Did you hear that? It isn't ruled and it cannot be ruled by human authority. And I want to tell you, as you think about this, this is a massive, this is a huge statement today. Because walking into most churches on the planet today, and I'm not, I don't have any one of them in mind, okay? I don't have any one of them in mind. But I know how all churches operate. I have a master in religion, and I know how they all operate. I pretty much know about every type of religion there is on the face of the planet. Not only the ones today, but the one of ancient realm and the ones that we think are going to be around in the future. Because we're always making up new ones, you know. And the new ones always seem to want to suit the benefit of the people that create it. Have you ever noticed that? So, you have to understand a couple of things as it relates to the church. Walking into most of them today, you'll find that they are absolutely ruled by human authority. And the word of God says it cannot be. Did you hear what I said? And before you disagree with me, hear me out. Look at the word of God. Open your eyes and see what's out there. And you know what, friends? If we're going to do that, we better look at this one too. Amen? Got it. Okay? Because if we're ruled by human authority, it's a complete deal breaker. Complete deal breaker. And your Christianity isn't Christianity at all. If it's ruled by human authority. Friends, humans have achieved a lot. This I know. I, I look at what we're able to do today with science and, you know, with uh, going to space and medicine and inventions and, oh my goodness. And I'm, I, you know... I, I like to watch this show on TV called Modern Marvels. Anybody watch that? Yeah, it's pretty cool what we're able to do. And that's cool that we do it. <laughs> We've achieved a lot, okay? But planning, purchasing, establishing, and sustaining the church, well, that's something that God did through Jesus Christ. We had nothing to do with it. Zero. But we like to think that we built the church. And we look at our buildings. We look at our congregations. We look at our music teams. We look at all these things, and we say, Huh, we, 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 we built that. No, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And if you did, then it isn't his church. Amen? It's not his. 
So therefore, we need to see it for what it is and what it isn't. So let's, let's, let's roll up our sleeves. Oh, I don't have my sleeves. Let's jump in. You ready? How many of you are ready to jump in today? For those online, are you ready to jump in? Those of you at Mecca, are you ready to jump in? Are you ready? Because this is an important message today. It really is, friends. And let me tell you something. I'm going to start out by saying the church is in existence for God's eternal purpose, period. That's the only reason we're in, we're in business. That's the only reason we're in existence today is for his eternal purpose. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Are you going to stand by that? The church, friends, is not in existence for any of us to feel good. Then why do we demand that? If we know it, why do we demand it? This is exactly what Jesus is talking about to the disciples. Do you still not understand? That's what he told them. You keep worrying about bread and your belly and meals and traditional things as we eat about this time. And listen, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about eternal things in the church. I'm talking about eternal things with teaching and the truth. So if, if, if that's what we ought to be about, then why do we demand that we feel good in the church? Boy, you're, you're shaking your head, aren't you? You're like, oh. Some people are like, do we do that? Because you're not convinced. Some people are like, I don't know, because I've seen it. And others are like, huh, I don't believe that. But friends, look around, and I promise you, that's exactly what we're doing. We have all, at one time or another, had a bad attitude about church because it wasn't what we wanted. Come on, be honest. Who's willing to admit that? Who's willing to admit that you had a bad attitude before because church wasn't what you wanted it to be? Come on. Yeah? Pastors do it too. We have bad attitudes sometimes when people won't do and jump in and get involved or act or in the manner way that we think they should. Did you know that? Pastors, do we, do we have bad attitudes sometimes? Sure we do. Sure we do. See, that's, that's human, li human life. It's humanity. And I'm going to tell you something. The church is not in existence for us to feel good, but this is exactly where, more, where most churches fail. Somehow we've decided to believe or have been led to believe that church is for us. <laughs> it's for us. Did you come in today? Did you drive in? Did you get online? Did you, did you pop in because you felt that you're going to church for you? Well, some of you did. And if you didn't today, you probably will in the future. You have in the past. You know why? Because depending on the day, we all do it. Okay? We want to believe that the church is in existence for us to pick and choose what flavor of the month we want. The style of music that we demand. The people that we want to hang with. The area of town that we feel we want to be comfortable in. And for us to have a pastor who tickles our ears rather than teaching the truth that might not really tickle our ears too much. Can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, oh, my. And all they want to talk about is, is how impressive and how good they felt with the music or whatever in the church. Not that that's bad. I think you should enjoy those things. But that's not your purpose. You see, it's deeper than this. The church has become hypocritical. And before you pass judgment on my statement, hear me out. Yes, I believe that most Christians pick a church for the reasons I just mentioned. To have their ears tickled, be in the right neighborhood, the right building, the right people, the right type of music, whatever. That's how we typically pick churches. Anybody willing to admit that's probably true? And friends, because of that, we've nurtured, nurtured this Christian society that wants to attend church so that when we leave it on any given Sunday morning or any service, we have this sense of fulfillment. The only issue is that we've chosen and attended church for the wrong reasons. And simply because we feel like the church is what it should be, that does not mean that God does. And you've got to be willing to believe and admit that. Amen? 
And that's how we got to measure the church every time we're in it. Every time. No matter where the church is. Right? Now, I struggled for the last few weeks on why God wanted me to bring this message today. I, re I really did. Have you ever done that? You felt God showing you something or giving you something and wanting you to do something. You're like, well, why, God? And then, then it'll go, God, are, are you sure? <laughs> you sure about that? No, I'm not, I'm not questioning you, God. I'm just asking, are you sure? And God always says, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he's sure, right? If God tells you something, how many of you think he's sure? Yeah. But I struggled and I wasn't sure. Because that's my humanness, you know, my humanity getting involved. I didn't understand why he wanted the content to be here that he was filling me with. And this morning I got the confirmation that I was supposed to do this. It came out of the blue. Some guy walked in the church this morning, handed this letter to Matt and said, here, your name's on it, says Pastor. And I'm not going to tell you who it's from, but it's from a couple that I know of. I know they attend a Baptist church here in town. Uh, they're fairly well-known. And basically it says, is sending a letter to all the area pastors and basically, because God has blessed and benefited them, they've put up, they've invested heavily in a 9 by 4 digital sign that's installed on the 641 bypass, uh, the southbound lane. And, and it has constantly has Bible messages on it, trying to get people back into concerted prayer and revival in a nation that desperately needs it. Now, that's kind of a big deal. People do that. Now, you know, you know that there's somebody... It drives past that and laughs and says, you fools. Don't you? And I wonder how many Christians have gone past that and said, well, that was a stupid thing to do. Hmm? But here's the deal. It says it doesn't matter. They've, they've noticed it doesn't matter what church we're in, whose name's on the front door. We all ought to be part of the same church with the same message. And that's that people need to get saved. And the church has got to stand so that people can come to Christ. How you do church doesn't really matter as long as the message is the same. So I want to talk about that today. And so if we're willing to listen to the word of God and see that Christianity was never designed to be what the modern church has made it to be, if we're willing to do that, and that the church was likewise never designed to be what it has become, then I suggest that together we look at what the church is in existence for. Are you willing to do that today? You willing to venture with me down this, this path? Well, the church is in existence to worship God, to experience Him, to learn about Him, and to equip the church, His people, in order to bring others into His kingdom. Nothing else. That's what the church is in existence for. Right? Because if somebody asked you, Outside of here, you're out running around, and they know you're a churchgoer, you're a church attender, you're a Christian. They would ask you what the church is in existence for. You might not give that answer. We'd say to feed the poor or the hungry. We'd say, you know, to, to pray for people that are hurting. We'd say, you know, a variety of other things. And, and sure, of course, that's part of what we do. But that's not what we're, none of those things. They're good things, but that's not the main purpose. And Jesus said it right here. The main purpose is to bring people to him, not to fill their bellies, not to make them feel good, not to be a shoulder to cry on. Those are good things, and that's part of the church's mission, but that's not the mission, is it? Because the fact of the matter is, you can do all of those things, but maybe not give them Jesus, and that's a problem. Amen? It'd be better to have Christ in none of those other things. Amen? That's what he said, okay? So what's the church in existence for? And here's the thing. When we experience God, worship him, and learn about him, do we get fulfillment from that? Do we get fulfillment with helping others? Well, sure we do. But only if we go with open hearts, expecting to receive whatever God has for us, including what he has called us into. And in that regard, the church is for us because you gain something from it. I gained satisfaction knowing not that I did something that somebody liked 
you know, I, 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 I love the fact that some of you will stop me on the way out and say, I really enjoyed that message today. Of course I like to hear that. But I also know that that's not the main purpose you're here. And when I start making it about that, I failed as a pastor. Amen? So that's the point. I, we all want to feel good about what we've done. I'm telling you, friends, I feel better when someone's come to Christ. Or when somebody who's been with Christ changes their lifestyle or their thinking to get into a deeper place with him. That is what gets me. That's what moves me. I'm, the, I'm one of those pastors that wants to get people who are Christians into the next level, to the upper echelons, to deepen, get stronger, and go higher with him. That's what makes me move. That's what I'm passionate about. Paul says, by now, you should be well past knowing that people have to get saved. You should be well past knowing about baptism. You should be well past that. You should, of course those things are true. You should be at the point where you're teaching people, let's get deeper in him. Stop staying babies in Christ and become mature in Christ. That is what the church ought to be. And that's what I'm passionate about. Does that mean we shouldn't be passionate about bringing people to him? No. Of course we should be. But we've got to get deeper. You see, these things are eternal. And they're absolutely the reasons that the church exists. Remember, it's not about you. I mean, that's not biblical. I mean, it, it is. I mean, it didn't come from the Bible, though. I mean, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren wrote that in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about, in fact, it's the first line. It's not about you. And the first time I read it, I'm like, huh, somebody's going to have a problem with that. <laughs> because we live in a society that says it is about me. Don't we? See, this is the point. You see, God wants to teach us his wisdom. His wisdom has remained a mystery for, from eternity, but is now, according to the scripture, made known by the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ. We now have it, all of it. Not simply the things that we're passionate about or the things that make us feel good or the things we want to hear in practice. You see, we've got to look at the whole scripture, not just the bits and parts and pieces that we like. Unfortunately, we're separating those things. The church, in fact, was in God's plan, okay, from the very beginning. Paul said so in Ephesians 3.11. In fact, God is the supreme architect and the leader of the church, and therefore, the pattern of the church has to be divine. The plan has to be divine. It can't be our plan. I have a sinking feeling that sometimes we plan things for the church that God's not in. I have a sinking feeling that sometimes we plan it and God never told us to do it. I think sometimes we don't plan and God's trying to get us to plan. And if you're honest, you know it too. Because it's inevitable as far as humanity is concerned. And if we do church right, then the church itself displays and practices the wisdom of its designer. It has to. Are you, are you sticking with me here? I haven't lost you, have I? Okay. The question is, as we look at the word of God, does the church look like and practice the, the wisdom of its designer? And without being judgmental of other churches, I have to say no. At least not always. And sometimes not at all. Because when you allow sinful activity in your church and say it's okay, then it's not. When you won't stand out and, and stand up against it, when people believe it, then it's not. And I know that somebody somewhere is furious with me for saying that. But it's not me that's saying it. I'm just interpreting and retelling it because God said it and so my friends God has always had a pattern for humankind to follow he gave Noah a pattern for the ark and Noah followed it and, the, and he was saved God gave Moses a pattern for the tabernacle he followed it and God's presence was always in it God gave a pattern for carrying the ark of the covenant too but David and Uzzah didn't follow the pattern and you know how that ended in disaster so obviously, Christians haven't always followed the pattern that the maker has given them, have they? 
Would you be willing to admit that the church hasn't always followed the pattern that God has given? Would you be willing to admit that Christians as individuals haven't always followed the pattern that God has given them? I would say that's a pretty good bet. But if the principle of following God's pattern is applied to the church, then good things are going to happen. Hebrews 8, 1 to 5 says, Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have a great high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. In other words, God set up the church. And every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one to have something to offer. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests which offer the, the gifts prescribed by the law. Now, I don't expect you to grasp all that right away, but understand what he's saying. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. In other words, the church today ought to look exactly like the one that's in heaven. I'm not sure it does. Because I know, according to the word of God, what the church in heaven looks like, and God help us, I'm not sure this one does. Not the one here in the corner, the one universal. Amen? This is what I'm talking about. And this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. In other words, the word of God is telling us, model the church in every single way, in the manner and style that God said you will. Clearly, friends, the church of Jesus Christ is the only true tabernacle that the Lord established and built, not humans. Humans didn't do it. And if we have, it's not his. God demands that this be ruled by his own divine authority, according to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. So in this regard, whatever the church is and whatever the church does, Christ must have willed it. He must have. And whatever the church differs from what the word of God says, all of it, by the way, then Christ clearly did not will it. We've got to determine right here and right now. Right here and right now. Whether God's willed what we're doing or he hasn't. And not only here, but we have to look at other churches and other pastors and other Christians and say, hmm, not judging them, but by looking at the pattern given and wondering if they are. And if they aren't, we have responsibility to tell them, you're not. Fix it. For all of us, ought to model this one. Let's look at what's important. You're not being judgmental people. You're modeling and patterning after what he's given you. Now, I know, friends, <laughs> that the answer is clear. Because I want to know whose will it is when we don't pattern after God's plan. That's scary, isn't it? Because you know who it is. Secondly, the divine pattern for the church is important. So what is it? First of all, it's written out for us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, so Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, to equip his people for works of service. Did you hear what I just said? He gave himself to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I want to talk about every single one of those people in just a minute. Okay? To equip his people for works of service. He put these people in place, the ones of old the ones of new and the ones of the future, to equip his people, the church, for works of service. Do you understand that? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, every one of us ought to know that people got to get saved. But we've got to stop dwelling on that. Go out and help people get saved. But what about the people that's gotten saved and done nothing else with their spirituality? Nothing else with their Christianity. They've remained babes in Christ. And there's a lot of them. God demands that they grow up. You wouldn't allow any child, whether it's yours or not, to get away with sucking on a bottle as a teenager. Unless something was desperately wrong upstairs. You wouldn't. 
So why would we allow people to continue to be baby Christians their whole lives? You see, Christianity is a whole lot more than just getting saved. It's a whole lot more than just getting saved. Not just for me, but for you too. Every one of us has got to get out of that, that salvation basement and start ascending. You understand what I'm saying? You got to get out of there. It's a given that people got to get saved. And I'm grateful that you have. But what now? What now? What did Christ demand of the disciples and of you and me? Look what Paul says. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. In other words, you should no longer be an infant in Christ. None of you should be. Okay? Blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You know, it, it makes me sick to my stomach when we talk about social issues and some Christians say, well, I think or I believe this. Stop it. Stop it. It doesn't matter what you think or believe. What does he think and believe? What does he say? Because what you think and believe ought to be what he says. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? Then why aren't we doing it? Right? You knew that was coming. You know I'm going to do it. Why aren't we doing it? We have to. Friends, he says instead... Speaking the truth in love. See, you can do that. You can speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean you're against somebody or you're mean. It doesn't mean you're mean. It doesn't mean you're nasty. It means you're speaking the truth in love. I've had people get mad at me for speaking the truth. Well, I didn't like the way you said it. But it's the truth. You're basically saying when you get angry with me or anybody else who does it, well, I just wasn't ready to hear the truth right now. We'll never admit that, but that's what we've said, isn't it? Now, I'm not telling you to have a bad attitude and speak the truth. Come on. But we have to be better than this. He says, when you do this, you'll grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds up in love as each part does its work. There it is. So, there are, in my opinion, well, it's not my opinion, it's scriptural. But I'm going to explain it, hopefully, in a manner way you'll understand it. There are three elements that the scripture says produce the unity of the faith. The first one is apostles. These people were the ambassadors of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.20. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Acts 1, 21 to 22 says so. They were personally guided by the Holy Spirit. Jesus claimed this to be true, and he revealed it in John uh, 16, 13. But the apostles, listen to me, left no successors. Did you hear what I said? There are no successors to the apostles. Yet certain churches, such as the Mormon Council of the Twelve, and others claim that their authority is the same as the original apostles. That is not true. I'm going to get there in a minute. Before you pass judgment, listen to what I'm going to show you. Because when you claim that, it gives you this inherent right to change the gospel or aspects of Christianity to reflect it to be whatever you want it to be. Do you understand that? You have to get this. Because there's this massive debate in the church about what's an apostle and if we still have them or not. The scripture is clear that we don't. I'm going to show you. Okay? And the fact of the matter is, a lot of churches have done this. They've and this is how they've changed the flavor of what Christianity ought to be. Because they think they have the authority to do that. N no, you don't. No one does. But you can clearly see why some would claim it. So they can. Now, go with me. Notice that the Bible says that to be an apostle, you have to have been taught by Christ or his spirit. Okay, so far, we could all do that, right? And here's the, here's the killer. You must have been an eyewitness to his resurrection, according to the word of God. None of us, none of us was an eyewitness to that. Unless you got something you need to tell me. You've been around a while. I want to know how. Amen? Because you found the fountain of youth or something. 
Okay? I was not an eyewitness. I know what it is. I listened to the eyewitness accounts. But I wasn't there. Anybody here? Were you there? So who among us is an apostle? Tell me. Nobody. Okay? And somebody, some of your friends out there who believe that, they're going to throw a bloom and fit when you tell them. Somebody's going to call me from hearing this message, I promise you. But there's going to be pastors that know what they're talking about say, yeah, you're right. I know. Okay? Not done yet. Because I know you're, you're mixing some things up. I'm going to show you where. Okay? Now, there are evangelists. Now, this is what Paul says. Okay? Apostles and evangelists. Yeah, we just read it. Those who were appointed to the work of proclaiming the gospel. Now, this comes from Acts 21.8 and 2 Timothy 4.5. The Greek word translated evangelist is only used in two passages in the New Testament. Okay? Yet Luke and Paul are clear about what an evangelist is. And it is for those who have, get this, divine authority and anointing to spread the word of God and the gospel itself. Now, friends, both Paul and Luke have clearly stated that all Christians have this authority and command. So in other words, are we all evangelists? Are we? Yes. Jesus told us that everyone who comes to him through salvation is a disciple. Is it coming clearer to you now? Okay. And he further told the original disciples to go and make what? New disciples. So are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes. See, we, we mix them up. We want to say we're apostles, but the uh, disciples were the, the original 12. No, 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 no. That's backwards. Were all the disciples apostles? Yes. 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 But are we, as disciples, also apostles? No. No, not at all. Okay? That way, it can never be changed. God passed down, Christ did, to the original apostles, those who witnessed his resurrection, including Paul, by the way. He witnessed it, didn't he? Okay. All of those people, I don't know how many there were, but he passed down the pattern for the church to those people. And when they all died off, it could never be changed. Never. Because after he left, they're the ones that ran it. And the Bible shows us from their writings what that pattern is. What are we supposed to be? Evangelists and disciples of the word. Yeah? Did I lose you? Good. Because we got more to do. Okay? Now listen. Jesus told us that everybody is to go and make new disciples. So modern Christians are disciples, but we're not apostles. But he also goes into this pastors and teachers. Now, pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. Okay? It's the Latin word for shepherd. It also, uh, there's also another word for elder in the Greek where it's called poimen. Okay? So Paul and Luke give us clear instructions that some would be appointed to this work of pastor and teacher and that their authority is higher and deeper and greater in the church, which is why there is a separation of clergy and laity. There has to be. There's a separation between clergy and laity. So this is a problem in many churches who determine not only the role of their pastoral leadership, but how much authority a pastor has in the church what a pastor can teach or preach, and what they are not allowed to speak on. I've seen it time and again, and it makes me want to be sick. In no barnyard, anywhere on the planet, in any history, anywhere, have the sheep ruled the shepherd, ever. And yet today, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And let me tell you something, friends. You can see that this too is outside the pattern given to us by the word of God. In fact, Acts 20, 28 is clear about the work of the overseer in the congregation. Let me tell you something. Before any of you start aspiring to this office of pastor or overseer, I'm going to tell you something about that. And before you get even a little jealous of the authority that a pastor has, because sometimes we do, 
Remember the higher standard that pastors are and will be held to by God himself. <laughs> so let me tell you something. If you weren't called to it, don't aspire to it. I'm telling you. Anybody? Okay. Now, divine wisdom has given us this pattern through which the church is to carry out its divine mission. The church has been given this divine program of work, friends. And Paul says that we're to equip people. And the Greek word is exoplazio. Exoplazio. And basically, there's a lot of things that it means. I'm running out of time, so I can't go into it. But basically, it's a ministry. And ministry comes from the Greek word diakonia, which incidentally, we get our word deacon from, which is diakonus. Okay? And a deacon in a church, we don't have in the Wesleyan church, but we have people to perform the role, and that's typically our trustees. And they are, get this, servants to the church. They take care of the church. They maintain the church. That's what they do. And they're on the authority of the poiman, which is the pastor. This is how God set the pattern. It's right here in the Word of God. Every bit of it. And Paul says that we are to edify and build up the body of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to serve people and build up the body. That's what we're for. That's the only thing we're for. But when we have differences of opinion and church splits and backbiting and fighting and all this garbage, we're not doing that. We're failing in that regard. And God says, no, my church must be united in the faith. Look around. Are we united? Yes, I think we as a church are. But sometimes there's a chink in our armor. Have you noticed that? Start, little cracks began. Have you noticed that? And they're usually on the silliest of things. Somebody misunderstood something pastor did or didn't do or somebody else in the church. Somebody said something that somebody didn't like, didn't agree with something somebody said. Or we don't do things the way you like it. Oh, gosh, are you kidding me? That is how all these things start, and this is how church splits begin every time. And the devil's going, yep, let's get her done. And God's like, no, no. Come together. Forget about your differences and focus on the things that the Word of God says we ought to be together on. That's the key. So let me tell you what the mission of the church is not. It's not the social gospel. And if you go to church for social reasons, shame on you. Whether you're here, listening online, whether you're, no matter where you are. And I hope that somebody who's doing that hears this message somewhere and says, oh, I disagree. I'm going to call that pastor up. Please do. Because I'm going to lovingly show you, you're wrong. You're wrong. So let's get with the program. I don't care where you go. Just go someplace and be part of the solution. Amen? Social gospel? No. It was never meant to be a social platform. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a slave or a master, you can obey the gospel. The home is the center of social activity, not the church. Okay? Practice sociability at home. When you come to church, fellowship, not be social. Two different things. Because if you're social, you're just social and that's it. But if you fellowship, you're social and caring and loving and together. Amen? Big difference. There are a lot of people I socialize with, but I don't fellowship with them. Make sense? It's a fact. The church is not and cannot be your feel-good place. wasn't designed to do that. We talked about that early on, but that's a fact. And this is the main reason that many younger people don't want to go to church, because they don't feel good here. They don't feel good here. Why? Because any church that tells the truth, they ain't going to like it. Okay? They want to have a social life in everything they do. And when the purpose of the church is not about you, then you will have a problem with it. Anybody? And incidentally, we're not losing young people because we have too few parties in the church. Some have said that. It's because we have failed to teach them the will of God in the home. That's why. Bam. In our faces. Not me, him. The word of God is filled with teaching the child in the home. Yes or no? Okay. In fact, the church was never designed for entertainment and recreation. Now, it's good that we do some of those things. Okay. It's a great source of fellowship, and we should con contain some of those things to bring continuity and togetherness. But going to a service to be entertained was never part of God's plan. 
Never has been. What passage do you think in the Word of God would authorize the Lord's church to just entertain people? Then why do we have so many churches that that's their main aim then? That's all they want to do is entertain people because it draws them. Yeah, but you're not teaching them anything. Well, so let's get them in here and teach them something. Amen? Did you also know that making money is not the function of the church? Lord knows we've got to have some money. But that's not our purpose. The church has no business being in business. Because I've heard pastors say, well, you know, the church is a business. No, no, it's not. It operates as one in some regard, but it's not a business. Because if we made all of our decisions from a business standpoint, what kind of church would we be? Not a very good one, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a fact, friends. So maybe we have to operate as a business, but business is not our main function. Cannot be. Shouldn't be. And that's unfortunate when certain lay people and certain pastors try to run the church like a business, and when somebody in the church doesn't want to run it like a business because it isn't a business, they get upset, take their ball, and go home. You run your business as a business, but you don't run your church like one. That, that, that's just the way it is. But many don't understand it. And yet money is still necessary to execute the mission of the church, so long as we're doing it for the things that Christ intended, and then doing things to get resources to run the pattern, that's good. Amen? So when we raise money like this concert we're doing, that's good. When we do the block party to reach people and then have you know, a, our pulled pork dinner to gain some resource, that's good. Brings fellowship, brings some resource, it lets people know who we are, what we are. That's good. But not do it just for that. In some churches, unfortunately, all they want to do are those things. That's all they want to do are those things. You can't be a church constantly worrying about feeding people, and that's all you do. You can't do it. And if that's your aim, you're not a church. You're not. Because feeding them is secondary. Teaching them about Jesus Christ and feeding them spiritually, that's the mission right there. Every time. Whether you fill their bellies or not. You can't mix them up. Amen? Okay? Helping people to gain the popular crowd is not our mission. Never has been. You see, the church isn't here so that you can go to church and rub elbows with people and gain clients for your business. And some people, unfortunately, do that. I know people that do that. When I've invited them to come here, they can't give me good reasons. Yeah, I know. We, I, I, I love your preaching. I love the people that go. I, I get it. But I, I got to go over here. Why? Well, you know, I... I know why. Because you want to rub, because you know you have a better opportunity with more people to gain business clients. <laughs> That's sad. They know better. And I don't care if they go here or not, but go someplace for the right reasons and know what you're there for. Amen? You see, the church ought to influence political issues as well. I've had some people say the church should have nothing to do with politics. Wrong answer. I say, wrong old Buckenstein. Don't agree with that for even, even a little bit. Am I going to let politics run the church? No. Cannot. But we ought to influence our politics. Why? Because God does. God says, this is what you ought to be. And let's face it, some politicians, some governmental policies, some platforms are clearly outside of the Word of God. Yes or no? Okay. Then should the church influence those things? Yes. All day, every day. Separation of church and state? You got it wrong, kids. The church ought to be separated from the state so they can't rule the church. That's the truth of it. But the church absolutely ought to have sway over the government and the state to teach them what kind of people we ought to be. It's worked every time when it's done that way, but it fails when it doesn't. You look around our nation today and tell me what we're doing. We're backwards. Guarantee it. I don't care what your party affiliation is. Be an independent then. In fact, the church ought to take a stand against those things that are morally and spiritually wrong. That's a fact. But the church is also not the place to use as a grandstand for political gain. I didn't say not to use as a grandstand to teach the moral right, but not for political gain. Amen? So as our worship team comes, here's what I will say to you. And I know we're way out of time. And I'm sorry for that. But you needed to hear it today. 
Nobody has the right to prostitute the church. I know we don't like that word. I know we're scared of it because we know what it typically aligns to. But you don't have to be sexually immoral to be a prostitute or prostitute something. You understand what I mean? You can prostitute the church into something it was never designed to be. How do I know? Because the Word of God says so. Paul is very clear about it. Revelation is very clear about it. It's called a harlot. And in some regards, people have done that. They've made the church a harlot. It was never designed to be one. Because whenever you are unfaithful to the one who is, that's exactly what you've done. You become a prostitute in your own right by saying you're a Christian when what you are, who you are, what you believe is pretty far from what he says you ought to be. That's what it is. We have no right to do those types of things. We have no right to use the resources of the church, the resources of God, to serve human aims and human purposes. And unfortunately, that's what the church has done today. But we can put an end to it right now. And it doesn't matter what the church across the street does or down the street or around the world. As long as what, where you attend, you're doing it right. That's the key. Because when there's churches that do it right, then God is happy and says, I told you, the gates of hell won't stand against those. And that's what we have to do. So let the church remain faithful in its divine mission. And praise God that he's given us a mission. So friends, I ask you today, what is the work of the church really? I mean, what really is it? Because the fact is, it's right here. And that's Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.